Hi, welcome to What Chance. I'm your host, Karin Elias. This podcast is about people who have been to prison. It's about their life before and after prison. I talk to educators, social workers, activists, and the formerly incarcerated. I want to find out what happened. Are some people at higher risk of going to prison? And what is it like to reintegrate into society? What does the justice system and society really care about? Punishment or rehabilitation? Come, join me. My guest today is Sinetra Freeman. She is the founder and CEO of the Mississippi Center for Reentry. Sinetra has personal experience with incarceration and the hardship that comes with it. Welcome, Sinetra. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited about this conversation we're getting ready to have. Um, I'm just excited to be here. Thank you again. Well, I'm glad we're having this conversation. And, you know, I'm in New York, but you are in Mississippi because that's where mm -hmm. your center is. Is that where you also were born and where you grew up? No, Florida is what I call home. You had some personal experience with incarceration because of being incarcerated. You lost your job. You lost your home your car and your personal valuables. So my question is, how did you get back on your feet after your release? Just working really hard, staying motivated, um, having a plan, just making sure you're having a plan. Sometimes we get knocked down in life and we don't have a plan on how we're going to rebuild and get back up. So we just have to have a plan. That's basically what I did. I had a plan. And was there any help for you? Were there any organizations to turn to? No, ma'am. No, ma'am. There were no organizations to turn to to help me. And um, when I did try to get some help from, like, the Salvation Army, I got turned away because there were no funding and because of my experience with incarceration. And so that was your motivation to start your center because you felt that there is a need people who come back into society need help what are some of the challenges for people coming back into society housing employment i found that a lot of these individuals need um, mental health services after being incarcerated for so long you know you become institutionalized you're able to go back into the free world so now it's like, okay, they, they need help navigating their free world that they left. It's not the same as it was in 1995 where we're in 2021, you know, so things have changed. Technology has changed. Updating their computer skills. It's just a lot that they are, that they're needing to navigate through and the different challenges that they have with the main ones are mental health, housing, and employment. I think that makes sense to think about when somebody is away from society, which keeps developing. I mean, we have cell phones now that look so different than they did five years ago, even, right? I'm wondering mm -hmm. if there are any other issues, because I also saw that the recidivism rate was 83%, which is something like four in five people return to mm -hmm. prison. 
I'm wondering what is the education level because that does also help you with finding a job. And I did see that you had some statistics on the website of your center and it mentioned that 54% of people incarcerated do not have a high school diploma or a mm -hmm. GED. That's correct. We try to um, meet those needs. We try to encourage them to go to GED classes if they're offered at their facility, whichever facility they're at. If not, then we will enroll them in one of our partners here in South Haven so that they can get their GED so that they can move on to whatever the next item is on their plan. We create their plans before they get out. And a lot of these individuals want that GED. They want to be able to go get a technical degree or go to full college. We have to be mindful because we still have some laws where regardless if they meet all the other requirements, if they have a felony, they may or may not be accepted into that college. But to answer your question, yes, GED college education is definitely important for this population in order to keep them out of the system. And so I want to take it a step back. I also saw that only 20% of people were employed. So if you don't have great education and you're not employed, then what are your means of survival and what is your likelihood of ending up being incarcerated? If there's a very high, strong likelihood um, because a lot of these individuals, when they're getting into trouble, it's mainly motivation of money. Um, because you're having all these different fines you have to pay, you have your own bills, you got to be able to take care of yourself. So if someone's not really giving you a job, what you going to do? You know, you're going to try to go out and potentially rob someone or steal so that you can feed your family or whatever it is that made most sell drugs. Whatever motivated you to get that money, you're going to get it because somebody else is giving you the opportunity to have uh, steady income coming in. That's definitely one of the needs that we meet. Yeah, so it seems that there needs to be a lot done in terms of helping people to not make those choices that might, you know, bring them into prison. And then I'm wondering also, so if somebody starts out with not very much education and not a great job experience, then they're spending all this time in prison. And I don't know what programs there are in prison to help them gain some skills. Yeah, that's correct. Some of the facilities do not have, you know, skill building educational programs. Some of them do. So it just really depends on which facility they end up going to. Um, and then again, you know, once we make contact with them and they're coming back to my area, I try to find out what have they done while they were incarcerated and what needs to be done when they get out. So if they have not done any type of skill building or GED classes, that is definitely a part of their plan for when they get out. So then you're offering them whatever is needed to help them to get education and training to find jobs? Correct. That's correct. Now, you know, and we're talking like, you know, about what is the need and how do we fulfill it? And it sounds like, okay, they don't have this. Let's give them that. But I'm sure it's not quite that easy. There must be some challenges for you to run a re-entry system like this. Um, challenges for me. <laughs> um, challenges for me is just um, just trying to weed out the ones that really want to take a chance because you have a lot of people that will say they want second chances, but 
or they want to get out, they'll try to utilize your services so that they can look good in front of the parole board to get out and then they get out and then they don't never contact you. So it's just, that's the main challenge for me, just making sure that I weave through all the applications to get those that really, really want that true second chance and not someone that's just using our program to look good in front of the parole board so they can get granted parole. I have run across that a couple times. The majority of them that reach out to me or that I come in contact with, they really want that second chance. And um, so far, so good. Yeah. So what you are saying is that it starts already in prison to make this plan with your organization of what should happen after release? That's correct. Can you maybe explain this a little more? Because I don't think people really know. Most people think, all right, somebody has a sentence, 10 years, 10 years are over, they go home. But what does it really look like? Um, what does it look like when they are sentenced and it's time for them to come home? Is that what you're asking? Right. Let's say they go to parole and they're granted parole means they're going to be released. Now, what, what do they have to show? Yeah, so this is just something that we do here at Mississippi Center for Reentry. I don't know what the other uh, reentry centers are doing, but with us, before they even get to parole, I'm working with them up to a year before they come to their parole. So by the time they get to parole, they are well, well prepared to answer whatever questions or whatever that the parole board may have. So for those that are in my program, we create something called a reentry plan. And basically, this reentry plan spans out for the next year, sometimes two years, sometimes three years. It just depends on the, the individual. You know, we do a lot of assessments so that I can learn as much as I need to learn about these individuals so that when I do get up in front of the parole board, I can say, hey, yes, this individual scored high. It's likely um, to reoffend, but here is our plan to bring that back down low. So, all in all, I start working with them up to a year before their parole or their release if they aren't eligible for parole. And then by the time they get out, we have this plan in place and we just hit all the markers, all the milestones um, in their plan to make sure that they do not return to incarceration. We make sure that they meet their parole officer. We make sure that they have employment. We make sure they have housing. Um, we make sure they have the insurance so that they can get the mental evaluation that they're needing that's really the first thing that I do before I send them out on an employer because if there's something wrong mentally I don't want them to mess up my uh, contract that I have with an employer because it's hard to get employers to want to give this population a chance because everybody feels okay you've done the crime you need to do the time and there is no second chance and I'm just trying to change that stigma yeah and so you are working together with other organizations to get housing and find jobs? Um, I'm not working with other organizations. Um, as far as employers, I'm working with some of the employers here. Um, as far as housing, uh, majority of these individuals, they have homes that they can go to. Um, the ones that do not have homes, they usually don't get parole because of other issues that might be going on, but we, we meet that need regardless. We go out in all of the counties that we serve to get all of the resources that we need to get to be able to successfully provide services to our individuals. So you have a staff then? Yes, ma'am, I do. And what do you find is the response when you go out and you're trying to find housing or jobs? What's the willingness of you know people helping you? 
it's a mixture. Some will say yes, and then you have others that will frown because, again, they feel like they've done the crime. They need to do this time, and they need to stay locked away. They don't need any second chances. So for me, you know, it's just a matter of just kind of persuading them, saying, hey, this is how we are going to take that money that's being used for corrections and we can put it towards our educational system, which we so much need the funding for, even for our health care. But the only way we're going to be able to do that if we're able to provide the services and the needs and meet the needs of these individuals so that we can save that high cost of our corrections and put it towards something else that is very low cost right now and that needs the funds. And they usually they usually um, come around after I you know finally talk to them. I have had some some doors <laughs> shut in my face a couple times. Oh wow! So you must be a very patient person. <laughs> yes. And and I'm thinking that you must also need some funding. How do you have problems with that, or do you find funding for your programs? No, ma'am. I do write grants, but again, being that I am a small organization I'm fighting against all these big organizations and a lot of these grantors they're not really funding any many projects here in Mississippi so it can be hard to find funding for us being that we are Mississippi based I'm Tennessee based you know they have so many people are granting grants to Tennessee and and up organizations but Mississippi is, is really really hard it is it's hard And even um, right now with the pandemic, there's so much money out there, but Mississippi is definitely not on the map. So that's where the main struggle will be. And I think I read also that before you started the center, there wasn't really a re-entry organization in that area. Is that true? That is correct. I am the only re-entry organization here in Northwest Mississippi. There is one in northeast Mississippi, and then there's several in Jackson, and I think a few down on the coast, but that's it. I'm wondering, has anything changed in, you know, the time you had your center and you showing that your programs are helping people coming back and be more successful? How are you accepted by the prison system? We are highly accepted by the prison system. We work closely with them. So if anybody's coming back to my area, Northwest Mississippi, they most likely reach out to me and tell me so that I can make that connection with that individual. So they're very receptive of the organization. So your success was impressive for them to say, oh, it's really worth to have a re-entry system. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> yes, ma'am. Well, that's congratulations. That's really good because, you know, there was a big undertaking to start this when there wasn't anything there and to run it successfully. Can you maybe share a few, a story of a success, something that worked out really well where maybe there were some struggles, maybe somebody who really, you know, um, didn't have connections and was helped by your organization? Um, Pretty much all the individuals that are in there don't have any type of connections Uh, when it's coming back besides family and then, you know, majority of the time family doesn't want to deal with them because of whatever may have happened. So I guess in particular, this one individual, he wanted to start his 
trucking business and we you know began to work with him to start his trucking business and he is very successful now even though he's on parole he can't really leave the state of mississippi but he's still making pretty cool money by working just statewide so that that was definitely a success story because he didn't you know just like him and others um, they rely on their family and friends, but by the time they get out, it's, it's like slim to none with their support because they're too busy, their family and their friends are too busy trying to take care of their own lives and they can't help support another adult individual. Yeah, we were able to help him to get his truck and business going. Now he, he started off with one truck and now he has two trucks. So now he's a successful business owner now. He's driving and then he has two other individuals that are uh, working up under him. Well, that's a great story because this is not just somebody who found a job, but founded a business and created jobs for others. What happens to people who can turn things around like that? Um, what is their emotional state like? Because you mentioned before that mental health is an issue after having been in prison and maybe the experience before prison also wasn't so great. Yeah, that's usually one of the first things that I assess is their mental state. Again, um, dealing with these employers, it's already hard to kind of get them to agree to um, want to work with this population. So, you know, if, if they score a certain score on their mental, I will send them out to actually, you know, get a full evaluation because I'm not a, you know, a mental expert or anything. I just go by an assessment that I give but if they score really high on this assessment, then, you know, that, that alerts me and my team to send them out to someone to get a more thorough evaluation to make sure that they're okay mentally and emotionally. And do you get um, help from other service providers in regard of mental health? Um, yes, ma'am, we do get help from mental services providers here. It's called Region 6 mental health services so um, we will refer them to them right and also I'm wondering the services you're providing you're providing them for free yes ma'am yeah and you mentioned other states that have different support than Mississippi has um, when you started it did you have some sort of model in mind how did you come up with the services you're providing um, I just remembered what I needed. So if I need it, everyone else needs it. And I just kind of built it out from there. I didn't look at no one else's model. I mean, I, I did, but I didn't really take anything from what else was doing because some of them, when I looked at their models, it was like, I don't even see how that's helping. So I just took what, what I needed when I got released. And I just turned that into a model and I built it out and been adding on ever since yeah and you work with men and women with adults do you work with youth also yes ma'am we do men and women and we also do juveniles and are there specific challenges with each of these groups no just the only challenge again is making sure that they really want that change that they say they want and and how about so young people might not have finished school before they were incarcerated. That's correct. And so when they just continue, when they come back out? 
uh, it all depends on the school. Sometimes the school does not want them to return, and then at that point, they may have to go get a GED or uh, something called a high set, which is similar to a high school diploma. And I'm wondering when women are incarcerated and when they are mothers, right? Do you offer any services while women are incarcerated, or is that really only taking place when they come back out? Um, we do offer services to mothers for their children while they're incarcerated. So it can be um, like we just did something for back to school. We do Father Day events. We do virtual family nights. Once a month, we'll do a virtual family night. And then we also do Angel Tree for where we provide Christmas gifts on behalf of the parent to their child. So you're doing a lot. You have quite a few programs and events. And I was wondering, what are your wishes for the near future? What would you like to do? What would you like to have happen? Well, I definitely want to serve more individuals because uh, only right now I just serve certain counties in Northwest Mississippi. I want to cover the entire Northwest Mississippi. And then I want to also um, have our own transitional housing so that we don't have to refer these individuals out. We can keep them in house and keep them within their plan and keep rolling. So what would you need for this to happen? Uh, funding, definitely funding in order yeah. to be able to um, expand our services and add on to our services. It's all about funding. Yeah, so you had mentioned that before that funding was a, was an issue. Is there any way to work together with other states or is it really only limited to Mississippi? It would depend on how we set up a partnership with other states and how they would actually help our organization, how we can help their organization. It just all depends on how we outline the partnership between both organizations and states. So for yourself, is there something that you would wish to happen that's not connected to the center? I just want to make sure that I meet all the needs of those who are getting out. That's it. Well, thank you very much for this informative conversation and letting us know how things are in Mississippi. Thank you for having me on. You're welcome. What Chance is created in New York with cover art by Hernan Brabermann and original music by Max Elias.